0: Well, welcome back to another week of Salad, uh, the only show where, much like The Masked Singer, you can't see who's talking and you're not really sure that you want to. <laughs> So my name's Trent, and I'm joined here by Cole today. How are you doing, Cole? <laughs> doing well,
1: doing well. That was a good one. All, all entranced by the mass Singer.
0: Yeah, you know, I watched some highlights because I just saw those ads on Hulu all the time. I was like, what the hell is this? Um, mm-hmm. But apparently, like, Fox's greatest, um, like, premiere ratings in, like, years. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just behind the times. Maybe I'm finally that old man who doesn't get pop culture.
1: <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. It's It's kind of interesting. I feel like I might give it a watch now that there's this, all this hype around it, but um, I guess it was imported actually from South Korea. It was originally, I believe, a Korean TV show um, where they have, you know, these celebrities. If, if you guys are unsure of what we're talking about here, The Masked Singer is basically this new show that's it's aired on Fox where I guess there's celebrities and they will kind of be dressed up in costumes so you can't tell who they are and then you kind of, you have to like figure it out, right?
0: Yeah, I think yep. it was funny because <laughs> I was just watching like 30 second highlights because that's all there is on their YouTube channel. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. One, of the, one of the judges was like, oh, I swear I've heard this voice before. And the other judge was like, that's what we say every week. I was like, I don't know how you'd ever actually guess <laughs> who's under the mask. But I think like someone gets eliminated each week. And then when they're eliminated, they're like their face is revealed to be like the celebrity that you didn't know they were.
1: Oh, so they're on there every week. Okay, that's pretty. Okay,
0: I like that. I think it's like American Idol meets where the wild things are. Um, (laughs) It's just kind of like this weird, weird surreal mask dream singing competition. I guess so. That's like what you'd have like you'd wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and you are like, wow, I had the weirdest dream. I was I was singing under a hippo costume and I saw Antonio Brown singing right next to me. Um, that's, kind of a, that's kind of the deal, I think. I guess so. Um, I guess so. <laughs> and, uh, speaking yeah. of, of other deals, there's been a lot of interesting stuff going on in the advertising world too, as of late. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. Paul and I are gonna kind of give a breakdown of two ads that we saw this week that we really liked. You know, we talked about New Year's uh, last week and going in, and now that we're in the new year, um, we're going to have Cole start off here with this McDonald's ad that was originally in New Zealand, right, Cole? Mm
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. So um, we actually had this, uh, for the the new year, uh, DDB New Zealand came out with this really fun ad for McDonald's, and so basically it's promoting um, their new... Uh, partnership with Uber eats. So Mick delivery is now a thing. Um, so a pretty, McDe- it's pretty exciting times, you know, um, <laughs> exactly. You can get a McBurger, whatever you want it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So essentially what the ad is, is it's, uh, kind of people that are like deflated, you know, walks of shame, wandering home. And it really, it goes on for a while. It's about, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so because a minute long, uh, spot. Sixty second, yeah. Um but uh it's really it's really kind of fun that all these people are just kind of waking up, like the sun's shining on them, they're like cowering away from the light and all of this stuff. And then um a guy goes to the door, he's got like an eye patch drawn on his face and he opens the door and there's mic delivery right there. There's the, the guy and then it you know, a nice, you know, pan up or whatever and it's mick delivery with Uber Eats. So He's pretty solid, honestly, and it's kind of cool to see McDonald's taking things in a little bit of a more exciting direction, loosening their ties a little bit in the face of uh, kind of all the competition in the fast food space now.
0: Yeah, and it's it's nice, too. I mean, if advertising is supposed to kind of hit home on cultural truths, um, there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that's taboo. For one reason or another, so it's kind of nice to see a very big, old, established brand like McDonald's admit the fact that a lot of people are hungover on New Year's or just disappointed with their life <laughs> and really just want those golden hash browns from McDonald's that are oh so good, exactly. Uh, so, you
1: cannot beat
0: them, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool.
1: We've seen that more from other brands too, with like Pedialyte has also done a lot. Uh, they did a lot last year of like embracing uh, their image as like the hangover cure. Oh. Right? So, I think people are really starting to kind of be a little bit more open to uh, embracing that side of things. Yeah,
0: and it was so popular, too, that they actually brought it to other countries after it was aired in New Zealand, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So it's kind of cool. Um, mm. You know, one of our topics today is kind of thinking about bringing in international ideas and things like that. So both of the, uh, you know, things that we just talked about are both kind of bringing in more of an international influence, um, which is kind of fun,
0: so... It's definitely right, cool. and I guess that's a that's a good setup for me to lead into this next brand. I'll, I'll take that serve. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of other ad that caught our eye this week. Um, I guess this is something, you know, everyone knows those Cadbury eggs. Some people love them, some people hate them. I'm kind of indifferent, uh, but you get them every Easter, essentially. And um, there's a little chocolate egg. Sometimes that filling is in them. Um, and I guess they've done this a lot, but this year... Um, Cadbury has announced that it's going to hide its eggs in other brands ads and challenge fans to hunt for them. Um, So (laughs) essentially, they had this little teaser thing that, you know, this little teaser video that launched and it was essentially a guy cracking open a Cadbury egg and spreading the insides on his eye like it's kind of war paint. Um... Which was just amazing. <laughs> I, love I love
1: that. I love that image.
0: A just cabin crazy. on wheels, which is also incredible. Um, and so, starting I believe next week and going until Easter on April twenty first, um, fans are encouraged to look around uh, the UK and if they spot kind of these like literal Easter eggs, um, you take a picture and you you upload them onto like egg dot com. It's it kind of like <laughs> that yeah, name. You're, a you're, little bit on the name, nose. But, um, but, but the the, the yeah. white cream egg. Um, and so when you upload the photo of this Cadbury egg in the ad, um, then you're told whether or not it's the white cream egg or whether or not it's just a regular egg. And I think it's something like 30,000 people can get awarded for finding a regular egg, and then like 1,000 people can be awarded for um you know the white egg and like one lucky winner will get about like thirteen thousand dollars, <laughs> which is kind of crazy um, and not only is this just <laughs> yeah. like a great ad and we'll get into why we think it works and what's exciting about it but also the creative agency behind it is called elvis so i mean for all the elvis fans out there it's just reassuring to know that he is still alive and well living in the uk making um easter egg on ads for uh, <laughs> big brands um <laughs> But <laughs> don't <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh man,
1: but isn't this actually this is actually something they've done a number of years, right?
0: at least a third year. I don't know if it goes farther back than but yeah, they kind of almost did uh
1: it's kind of funny with you know uh tide ad being so big last year and kind of more of these meta type ads with ad ads yeah. within ads, you know making you question you
0: know. The funny thing about Tide, Two is, I don't know, you're not really as big of a football fan as I am, but mm-hmm. Tide kind of continued that it's a Tide ad Super Bowl spot with a bunch of ads during NFL games. Oh, yeah. Where mm-hmm. they filmed, like, pre-roll, essentially, of you know, the color and the play-by-play commentators of football games talking. And then they kind of focus in on one player in the game who has like this very clean jersey. And at first you're like, oh, it's just part of the commentary. But then you realize it's a tight <laughs> ad. And those kind of like, I was watching them. That's awesome. I, I Some people liked them. Yeah. So you're saying it's awesome. I I watched it and I kind of felt like, oh, this just feels like pandering at this point. Like it felt like they had a good idea and then they overused it. Really? So, like I would literally see them like, almost every primetime game and it was kind of like oh here it is again so you know it's like commentating from the commentators like I was like give me back to the real stuff um but it's a fine line I think like and it can be funny and like obviously some people like Cole here it is still humorous
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow thanks <laughs> I yeah I do th- I do think that's clever I didn't actually see it though so maybe maybe they didn't do it in a good way but some
0: people like the Cadbury egg that's just the chocolate one in the original, you know? It just really depends. Um, I guess so, I guess so. (laughs) Um, But it is nice. I think Cole and I were talking about this before we got on, and I think our big takeaway was, Uh you know, a lot of the times you'll have people who just watch ads in a very static position you know you're either on the couch or you're just kind of sitting in traffic looking at a billboard or you kind of dozed out listening to your favorite podcast all a salad and then you hear an ad and you're not really wanting to engage with it you're not really listening you're not involved in like the process and sometimes that can be okay but I think when you have something like this, where you're having a consumer engaged with your brand and kind of partnering with your brand to kind of work side by side to, to do something, to solve a problem, to figure something out. In this case, run around London looking for uh, <laughs> stage ads that have other ads in them with your egg in them as well. You know, I think that allows you to kind of remember the brand more, remember what the purpose of the brand was, what the messaging was in that campaign, and then also kind of probably gives you a more favorable opinion too. Definitely,
1: definitely. And I feel like we're seeing, we're seeing more and more brands willing to step into a position where they're challenging consumers, you know, to do things. And I, I think that's probably something we'll be seeing more. And it's also really cool to see brands doing that together. You know, right. maybe this is kind of 2019 will end up being the year of the collab, you know, <laughs> with all of these brands kind of working together to get your attention, you know, because one, one ain't enough anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly right. One can't do it. it. It takes a no longer takes a village. It takes a, a Fortune 500 collection exactly. uh, to <laughs> intrigue a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's always curious what the logistics are behind those kinds of partnerships. I I believe it's not like Cadbury just went and took an egg sticker, um, like every person's college entrepreneur that just takes a sticker and puts it around <laughs> campus. You know, it's uh, I doubt they just took an egg sticker and plopped on ads. I believe they partnered to kind of recreate some ads and integrated their eggs into them, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always sure. just cool. Another ad similar to this over the summer, where I believe it was um, Fruit of Looms and uh, Kristen Porter Boguski, the ad agency based out of Colorado. um, They essentially did like an ad campaign out of home where the underwear was so comfortable that you wouldn't really realize you're feeling it. So they had these ads that you essentially wouldn't realize that there were words in there that told you where to find hidden money, unless you like actually looked at the ads and read them. I remember I saw one of them while I was in New York, but I think like the money had already been grabbed because it was kind of like (laughs) kind of disheveled looking. Um, but, uh, you know, I actually Uh did when I saw that ad on ad week, I went around and like hunted for these like fruit of the loom ads, um, in New York city to try and figure out if I could find some cash. I think anything like that just kind of gets you excited about the brand and wants you to keep engaged. So yeah, I agree with you. Cole. I think we'll see more people doing that moving forward.
1: Definitely. And I think people, I think the cool thing is now that because brands are more willing to do this and they're, I think consumers are also more willing to give brands that they like, you know, kind of the time of day. Right. Um, more so, you know, I, I feel like kind of brand identity is kind of at its at its height here in this extremely polarized world that we live in. So people are more willing to give their time maybe to an experience that's well-crafted like this one.
0: Yeah, and, and John, that's what we talked about with John last week too. If you haven't heard that episode, go ahead and give a listen to that one too because it's a great talk with a just a super smart man that works on AI and kind of tech, new technologies all day. And he had said, too, like, you know, brands are no longer just like a like an identifier to know that something's of high quality. It's really kind of something that you emotionally rally behind. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think, too, like, like Definitely. brands the time of day, it is certainly um, kind of allowing brands to do a little bit more creative uh, work, which is exciting.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. And kind of speaking of that, not really a brand so much, uh, kind of stepping outside of the box, but we actually have this, um, really big cause, uh, based, uh, campaign actually that I, that I had seen, re- uh, I think just today. Um, but basically it was released by BBDO Atlanta. Um, and what it was, um, it was, uh, partnership with a PR firm and a nonprofit called Street Grace that's based in Atlanta, Georgia. And so basically, the whole campaign is built around hashtag stop traffic, stop trafficking. Uh, So it's focused on human trafficking within the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so apparently, uh, there's actually 3,600 children are sold into uh, sex trafficking every year. And that's just in the state
0: of Georgia. Crazy.
1: And so obviously, yeah, those are, you know, really frightening statistics. And, you know, to think about such a big problem, you know, how do you bring light to that? And so the whole point of the campaign was that, um, you know, that 3,600, that's more than a number. You know, you look at that and it's a statistic and it's something that you'd forget. But what they actually did was they, again, they made it, (laughs) Um, you know, they did something more outside of the box and they basically had 72 buses, 72 school buses, because that's how many buses you would need to carry 3600 children. It's, it's a staggering number. I mean, 72 buses, it's almost a mile long. And so they had these buses and on the tops of them, they had billboards, um, you know, kind of raising awareness um, for child Uh, Sex trafficking, essentially, and so these buses then went on this huge drive through Atlanta. Um, Again, it was almost a mile-long procession. It's really, it's really cool. It's definitely something to check out. But really cool to see, you know, an agency and a firm and uh, coming together to kind of highlight a really, really salient, really important issue um, that you know a lot of people wouldn't really know about, and you know, really bringing that to life.
0: Right, and it's and it's a smart move too. I think for well, for many reasons, but two in particular that I thought of um, looking at it, you know, one, I think, you know, we all know that Atlanta, Georgia traffic is absolutely terrible. Um, you know, I have a friend that lives there now and he <laughs> always speaks to that too. So when you have a city like yeah. out of home really changes like billboards and out of home, stuff like that it really changes on how it's effective and how it's best used depending on the city you're in. Cause I think the traffic patterns of that city influence the relationship between consumers and that out of home. So like in a place like Phoenix, where there's usually not a lot of traffic, so we've got six lane freeways, you know, people are driving by and they only have a second or two to look at a billboard. But in a place like Atlanta, where people are usually kind of at a standstill or a place like LA or New York, if you have 72 buses kind of moving through slowly, like everyone's going to be looking at that. And from a, stuck position in traffic, it's going to look like that bus is never ending. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's really, it's really all built around kind of this video piece that they put together. It's about a, it's about a minute 30 long. Um, but they show a lot of really good shots of the buses basically from the air. It's basically a bird's eye right. view. And that really shows just how long these really are. But no, that's a really good point that, you know, it's it's thinking about, you know, using strategies that are going to work in in you know, in that place. And, you know, that was a very targeted, uh, you know, kind of sense of place for the state of Georgia. Yeah, and so. it's a good
0: example, too, of how to break through like, uh, you know, in comedy, it's how do you kind of build and break comic distance where there's the suspension of belief about what's going on. And then you do something that is like a snap that makes you realize, like relate to the person, and you're like, oh my gosh. And it kind of makes you more engrossed in that film or in that joke. And it's the same thing here where they kind of broke the distance of, especially in today's society, numbers and statistics are so often ignored that they did a good job of exactly a really just in your face way of saying like, this is what this statistic means. And it really kind of forces you to look at it and not shy away from it. So it's a really effective thing and I and I applaud them for kind of building out that idea and bringing awareness to such a really terrible thing.
1: Definitely. No, it's a, it's a really cool idea and it's, it's really nice to see them doing creative things with it. So honestly, I mean, we're only a few days into, uh, 2019, but we've already seen some, some kind of fun stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: (laughs) some good ads at least.
0: And, you know, speaking of fun stuff, uh, we got to sit down with, um, Brad Casper too. Um, for this episode, which was very exciting as well. Um, You know, don't mind my shameless transitions. Uh, (laughs) But um, yeah, we had mentioned on the last podcast, but we got to sit down with Brad Casper, who is the CEO of OH Partners, an advertising agency based here in Phoenix um, that has been kind of blowing up the last couple of years. Um, You know, we got a chance to sit down with him and really talk about his background, his take on leadership, and kind of lessons he's learned throughout his career. And he has some advice for um, college students like uh, Cole and I and you as well, likely listening. Um, and now Cole and I have known Brad for a little over a year now. We originally met through um, our advertising mixer that we do every year through AdWorks and, you know, have since done some projects with him through AdWorks. And I'm fortunate enough to work with him at my internship currently. Um, so we're very excited to bring him on today. And, um, you know, thank you again for being here, Brad. And I guess to get things started, do you want to just give us a brief kind of overview of your career and how you've gotten to where you're at now? My
2: pleasure. Thanks, guys, for asking me to be a part of your podcast. Of course. Yeah, my course. career has uh, been a very uh, unpredictable and um, uh, journey. Uh, after graduating from university with a degree in finance mm. and pursuing an opportunity with the General Electric Company uh, in what they call their financial management program, after a few years, it was in a sense, a little bit like an in-house MBA and I had rotational assignments and that was all fantastic. But I really thought, gosh, this isn't really what I, I want to do. And I then jumped to Procter and Gamble and went from a finance career to a marketing and advertising career. And P&G is famous for their brand management. And I was fortunate enough to be hired into brand management. And that's where you get an opportunity at 25, 26, 27 years old to run your own company. That's how they like to pitch it to you. (laughs) And it was really pretty exciting. And so I learned a lot about branding, a lot about marketing and did that for 16 and a half years and progressed from an entry level, um, brand assistant through vice president and general manager of a global business unit, um, with 10 billion in sales. And so it was a really incredible journey but then I felt ready for bigger challenges, and Procter uh, wasn't ready to give them to me, and uh-huh. another company was. So I became president of another company in Princeton, New Jersey. Oh wow! And I did that for three years, and that was also in the consumer package goods sector. Mm-hmm. And then I got recruited to become CEO of Scottsdale, Arizona-based Dial Corporation, where I did that for five and a half years. And that's when the fun began. (laughs) I left that industry. And since 2000 and I guess uh, 10, Mm -hmm. um, I've changed industries multiple times. (laughs) I went private equity and was in sports nutrition. I was president of the Phoenix suns basketball team. I ran a pet nutrition company. (laughs) I've been on the board of directors of different companies, both profit and not for profit. Uh And then in 2016, I came in on a consulting gig to OH partners, became executive chairman and then later CEO. Nice. So I've cut across a ton of different industries in a different countries, cities, and States. Uh, but I have to say the one I'm
1: doing now is the most fun. Hmm. Nice. So you said after you left dial, that's when the fun finally began. So could you maybe elaborate on that a little bit more? What, what makes you say that? Well, I did. I mean, I, I don't want to, um,
2: play down the fact that I had fun <laughs> mm-hmm. in lots of different jobs in mm-hmm. my career. Uh, I was, you know, I ran P and G Hong Kong. I ran P and G China. Mm-hmm in my mid thirties and I had a blast and, and I felt super important and I learned a ton and and we can come back to that later in this podcast if you want. Um, coming out of dial, you know, it was, it wasn't certain what I was going to do next. I'd already run the largest consumer packaged goods business in Arizona. I loved Arizona. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to reinvent myself. Um, and I had a great conversation with an executive recruiter who says, Brad, you know, your resume, the companies you've worked for, the size of the companies you've worked for, you're going to scare away some of the folks in Arizona because they're, they're just not going to be convinced that you can be entrepreneurial and work in a smaller company. Oh, wow. And so I set out it is almost a challenge to prove I can work in very nimble, very agile, and in some cases, relatively unsophisticated companies and try to improve them. And, and that's really what I've been doing the last eight years. And it's been great. So I've had a lot of fun because part of it hasn't been just the professional challenge, but it's been the personal growth that even this old body is still (laughs) able to uh,
1: learn new tricks. And I think maybe that's what excites me so much. Definitely. Right. It seems like there's just so much more space for opportunity, you know, one being in kind of the Phoenix market and one being in, you know, a smaller company. So it's really cool to kind of that you have both sides of that. And now, so <laughs> since you've worked with these big brands, how does that really compare now to the agency, you know, that you're running now in OH Partners and everything?
2: You know, I think that you know, my entire journey of, of working in diverse settings in other countries working in and around powerful brands, consumer packaged goods Mm -hmm. has prepared me perfectly for this. I worked with some of the best agencies in the world. Uh, when I was in, um, earlier in my career, it was Leo Burnett Mm -hmm. and Saatchi and Saatchi and gray McCann Erickson, Dentsu in Japan, just to name a few. And, uh, And so I I was always the client. Then now on the side of the agency, I get to understand the the client's perspective, a new client that I visited on the East coast this week. I was on the phone again with them today. Mm -hmm. And when they were talking about working capital and they were talking about a number of things, the fact that I could empathize with them, I could, Mm -hmm. because i have been in their shoes Um, many times in my career. I think all of that has helped me be more effective in this role. Um, I think that, you know, we've been able to attract a, a very talented workforce. The PNG is the one who taught me about the importance of uh, core values and principles and mm-hmm. ethics. And so I wanted to make sure I brought that to this company. Um, and, you know, a lot, a lot of the companies I work for, as a leader, you can never get it done by yourself. It's uh-huh. always through uh-huh. people. And so I've learned long ago, the importance of attracting and retaining great talent, motivating, inspiring them because they're going to do the heavy lifting and that nothing's been more true than here at OH, uh, as we've had some fantastic growth. So I think that, I, you know, the, the good Lord had a reason for me to have all these twists uh, and turns right. in my career, but I feel like I'm doing exactly nice. what I should be. And I'm drawing upon all the things I've learned ever since I started uh-huh. my career
0: in the eighties. Wow. Yeah, that's really awesome. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head too, of it, the broader kind of experiences you can bring in like that kind of diversity of, of work background and everything like really kind of helps you when you're talking with a client. And I think Like me wanting to go into like a client services account management perspective, you know, that's really interesting to hear about, too, how you can kind of by all the different industries and all the different people you've worked with. It just helps you kind of continue to um, emphasize with, you know, the new clients you have today. And I think you'd mentioned, too, that you worked overseas. And I think, you know, we're both kind of curious to hear, you know. What kind of experiences did you have overseas that kind of helped you um, working now here in Phoenix? And you know, what were kind of the differences working globally versus now here in Phoenix? Yeah, I was only slightly
2: older than the mm-hmm. two of you are uh, today when E and first asked me if I would be interested in an international assignment. I didn't even own a passport. I'd never been outside oh, of geez. the United <laughs> States. And I said, yeah, sure, right. why not? And my wife at the time said, yeah, this would be our great little <laughs> adventure, now, honestly, I was thinking they were going to say Canada or maybe the United mm-hmm. Kingdom. But when they came back and said, how about Japan? <laughs> I just felt, wow. Right. Um, but I think the beauty of that opportunity, I was asked if I would go for two years. Mm-hmm. I ended up staying six. Oh, wow. Every two years I was getting promoted mm-hmm. and I realized that I was accelerating my rate of professional growth. Uh Um, by contrast, if I had stayed in the United States, the opportunity to become a general manager six years after becoming a brand manager, Mm -hmm. that was just unheard of. Typically that time alone would be 10 or 12 years, Mm -hmm. but I look at it from this standpoint. I was, I had to operate in a very lean environment in Japan. Mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of heavy lifting myself. Uh, I was one of a very few expatriates or, or non-native Japanese or non-native Asians that were working in that environment. Mm-hmm. So I worked really long hours. I, I worked hard. Uh, but I also needed to become, um, what I call a chameleon. Right. I had to take on my environment. I had to learn from the inside out. um, I didn't have positional authority upon arrival. I was still in my twenties and I had people in their forties and fifties working for me. Um, and so I had to become very empathetic, very self-aware. And these are skills that once you learn them, you don't let them go. And and I think, I I think one of the things that I've probably learned, um, about myself and self-awareness is a wonderful thing. And I don't know that I was that self-aware when I moved to Asia, Mm -hmm. but you become very self-aware when you become that minority. Uh Uh, And and I was a minority in that setting. Mm -hmm. And, but you become very adaptive in your own personal culture and in your personality and your style. And I think when you think about the number of changes I just told you about going from, Procter and Gamble to Church and Dwight as president to dial as CEO to the sons to sports nutrition and to a pet nutrition company. It was like I was just replicating the challenges I had when I was 27 or 28 years old and I'm having to learn Japanese, learn, uh, 30 plus to integrate into Hong Kong and mainland Mm -hmm. China. Uh Uh, You become very adaptive in your leadership style and you find ways to cope and you
0: find new ways to lead. Right. And I think it's just so interesting to hear about too. I mean, you know, through the management program at WP Carey, we we learned so much about how, you know, each culture really is kind of its own, you know, different world. And and there's, you know, we may do something different here that they do differently there. And you really kind of have to learn to adapt and figure out how to fit in with that and adopt those customs and figure out where your own custom makes in. And I just, what was the culture shock like switching over to Japan? And what were your kind of like, experiences as far as were there things that they did differently, um, that you weren't used to and you kind of had to adjust your leadership style to match that? Absolutely. Great question. Um, you know, obviously, a, a, an
2: American culture tends to be, um, probably in the eyes of the Japanese, very direct, right. um, mm-hmm. maybe pushy, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit flamboyant, a little bit too much me, 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 as opposed to we, we, we. Right. <laughs> I got to Japan and I had to unthink and unlearn a few things. And in the Japanese culture, it is it is about hierarchy. You had to learn to appreciate um, titles and how to come into a room and bow deeply. And if you're the junior person in the room, you bow more deeply than the person who's clearly – at a more elevated position, you hand your business cards as if they were, you know, the most valuable tender on earth and you receive a business card and you, from someone and you show great appreciation. So there were lots of little nuances into doing business. When you go out to dinner and you be respectful, um, and try a lot of in some cases, pretty strange food and drink that wouldn't be on your normal dinner table, but you have to show them that fighting spirit that you're trying as different as I was. I I was six foot five and most of the people working around me in Japan were more like five foot five. (laughs) Um, so I literally and figuratively stood out, uh, in that culture, but, I think some of the greatest compliments I ever got is that they felt, people felt very comfortable nice. with me. They felt like I understood them. I respected them. And I think it's made me a better leader today because I can be very sensitive mm-hmm. to how employees respond or don't respond to my leadership and management cues. And I picked up a lot of that in, in Japan, Hong Kong and China uh, if you've never been a minority, um, and I know a lot of your podcasters probably are minorities, mm-hmm. I have a new appreciation what it's like when you're one of the few as opposed to one of the many.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's kind of helped you too, now leading a, an ad agency where, you know, the ad agencies, they may not, you know, they usually have a flatter structure than, say, in Japan. But as far as that kind of more communal sense of, you know, they're all in this together, do you think that has helped you? Uh, more so now to like leading an agency kind of style environment? I hope so. I think (laughs) on the
2: one hand at OH, I'm proud of the amount of diversity we have now, but I'm going to continue to push for even more and more because the consumers of America and the consumers of our advertising products and our clients, physical products are are of course, enormously diverse. So I feel like our workforce needs to be a reflection of that. Um, I, I try to find – help people find the right spot on the bus as mm-hmm. long as they have the right cultural fit, they have the right passion, and the work ethic. If, And we've had a, a number of individuals at, in, in, um, in our agency over the last three years that I've been affiliated with. It. I saw great skill and great talent and great passion, but – they, they said, you know, I don't really think I like this client service thing. I think I want project management. Or if they said, you know, I actually want to be more on the film side, or I want to be on the creative side, or I think I could bring my copywriting skills. Mm-hmm. We've been, I think, successful in helping people not only find their passion, but putting them in the right seat on our bus. Right. And I do, again, think that when you, live outside the United States and you work around a lot of diverse cultures, there's not a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes one of PNG's faults in my opinion at the time is that they were trying to, we we even made a joke of it. You're trying to turn us into a proctoid is the way we (laughs) called it. And because their culture was so strong and so uniform, Mm -hmm. they graded everybody the same way, but they, Despite the fact that they might recruit diversely, right. they programmed people to kind of become more generic mm. proctoids. The agency, mm. we embrace the diversity of thought and, and action and, and we tolerate some of those idiosyncrasies because, frankly, I think that's what makes us more creatively um, capable and more energetic together.
0: Right. Uh, we don't force people to be just one way. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, for those of, you know, for those listening, because, you know, obviously Cole and I both want to go into advertising. Um, but, you know, like for people listening at the business school or the design school, what do you think now? You kind of touched on it, but just curious for your thoughts. What do you think is that benefit of that agency lifestyle versus the brand? Obviously, you get to have a little bit more personality and a more diverse thought and experiences at an agency side side were there any benefits to the brand side that you think maybe agencies could adopt to or vice versa?
2: Oh yeah, there are. I, I certainly don't want to make it sound like being on the client side is the wrong side to be on because yeah, I think there's yeah. something beneficial about both. The one right. thing about being on the corporate or the client side as it's, you know, I have deep reverence for how uh, P and G and Dial and others that they that, that they owned and breathed their brands right. uh, that they try to establish those brand standards they try to think strategically um, in general that if you're assigned a single brand and you're a brand manager or an associate director or something like that you've got a very narrow portfolio brands mm-hmm. man you got to go a mile deep. You need to Uh understand every aspect, every number, all the trends, all the competitors, et cetera. In an agency, because you might be working across a portfolio at OH, we probably have 50 plus clients. Mm -hmm. I need to know a little about a lot. Right. And because I'm old, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have the benefit of being able to draw upon a lot of experiences over the last 30 years that I can bring to our clients. But the, the great thing about industry is, and again, it's, it's back to the advice that I would give any of your listeners is, and it sounds trite, but find something that doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Something that you just roll out of bed and it feels like it's so natural mm-hmm. to you. It's like conversation and it just fits yeah. uh, your life, your ambitions. I've told a number of people that marketing and advertising, if you if you choose this path, you'll never be bored a day in your life right. because we are psychologists. We are sociologists. We are strategists. Um, and a lot of that is true of course, if you're on the client side too, uh, but it's that passion. Um, we're all in some way, shape, or form problem solvers, right. um, trying to get people to buy more things, of uh-huh. more, th- uh, of our things in preference to somebody else or change habits. And, and what are the, you know, the cues and the clues and the, and the incentives we want to do to move a behavior from A to B. I find all that really fascinating and I just love it about our
1: economy. Right. Mm hmm. Definitely really interesting. And especially, you know, being able to draw from such a breadth of experience in different markets, you know, gives you kind of that thought diversity almost. So how do you kind of take a lot of those lessons that you got from like uh, larger and international markets? And then how do you apply those sort of to the Phoenix market? Because one could kind of think, you know, if you were to try to start an agency, you know, Phoenix might not be the first place that people think of, but how have you kind of managed to make the location work for, for OH and how have you been able to adapt that?
2: Well, fortunately I joined an agency that was already established. Um, and Uh you know, we had clients that were largely Arizona centric. What we set out in 2016 to do is to try to get some of the biggest and the best clients that were available in Arizona and use those clients and the work we did for them as a stepstone, a launching pad that would help us become more national in scope. And a lot of our employees Many of them had grown up in Arizona, but not all of them. And many of them aspired to something that was bigger than just Arizona itself. Although they loved working and living in Arizona, most of them liked the idea of helping clients and companies outside. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, what we've been able to do at OH has been able first to um, satisfy the needs of the biggest and best clients in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Prove that, that the thought processes, the skills, the creativity, the strategic thinking, the media planning, the execution, the PR, that all of that could be scaled. And having just come back with seven other colleagues from New York and Connecticut last mm-hmm. night, uh, we, we can see that the sophistication of larger companies that currently don't exist or at least we don't work with here in Arizona – Makes all of us think differently, makes us all look at the world differently, challenges us not just to try try implementing things that are tried and true in Arizona, but mm-hmm. literally thinking outside the box. When Reebok asked us to, to compete on some things two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm we, I mean, our brains exploded, (laughs) right? -hmm. They're asking us to think about how to launch something in Shanghai, how to create news in Wembley stadium in London and how to make, you know, something in times square stand still. It was like, Whoa, mind blowing. (laughs) Um, I think We've gained confidence about our ability to, to satisfy the local clients. And now we all have this hunger, this whole ambition to prove that we're much bigger, much better Mm -hmm. than, than just a local agency. And it comes back to what our founders, Matt and Scott challenged me about three years. Can you help us become the first great national agency in Arizona? And we said, yeah, let's do Uh
1: it.
0: Right. Awesome. Awesome. Kind of a question for you off that too. I think, you know, especially these bigger agencies that have the well-known, you know, brand name, I guess, if you will. Um, a lot of agencies, typically they either struggle with new business or they struggle with, self-promoting themselves so that clients and employees or potential employees know their name as well. And I think one thing I've noticed OH does really well is, you know, the new business strategy and the self-promotion, um, you know, through public relations and through social media. And I'm just curious, what are kind of your, um, kind of key points that you have OH try and focus on and how have you managed to be so successful with that?
2: Well, um, You know, I think I think we struggle with it at times, but we have dedicated uh, several resources to new business development where a lot of agencies might rest that with one mm-hmm. 2 we've tried to democratize that new business is everyone's business. So even if it's someone who's in creative services who says, hey, I know someone who owns this company, we try to make it a very inclusive Not just the revenue generation is not simply the the role of a one or two people, but it's all of our responsibilities. I think that democratization has allowed me to leverage my network and not keep me in my Mm -hmm. box. Uh we are not afraid to pick up the phone and, and connect across borders, that old, you know, seven degrees of separation. I think in the marketing and the advertising world, it's always a about two or three degrees of separation. So we've played that card increasingly Mm -hmm. hard. But I think one of the mindset changes, and I compliment my partners for for this and one of our advisors who used to run a large Mm -hmm. agency in Phoenix he said that the brand that you often neglect right. is your own. Make sure that you consciously uh-huh. invest in your brand as it is the most important thing. So we created an OH branding team with a cross section of men and women across departments and to be very honest, across levels of, of, mm-hmm. uh, experience And people who had only been at the company one or two years were part of that branding team because we really felt like they might be digital natives and that they might help us connect to the next generation of employees or possibly to a hot startup that was looking for an agency. So I think we've started to hone in on how to build Mm -hmm. that OH brand. It started, honestly, when we had the courage to move away from Owens Harkey, the name that was on the name plate from, I guess it would have been 2010 um, to, no, I think it would have been 2008 to about 2016. Then we Mm rebranded as OH Partners, created a bit of a kick-ass website that we thought would help reframe what that brand is and let the personality of the individuals Mm -hmm. here come through that really helped us gain confidence as we moved into social media and PR, um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that we we needed to constantly nurture that brand development, but we're still learning guys. We, there's so much that we can do better But I feel like 2019, we're we're setting ourselves up for a pretty good combination of new business development growth Mm -hmm. because we've got a lot of momentum and then momentum does beget momentum and we're getting that word out. And I think people are starting to look at us and have conversations about us that, frankly, two years ago, I don't think they... We would have been on their radar. I I kid you not. The Mm -hmm. woman who called me from Reebok said, I've been following you on social media for the last two years. The thing you did for Airbnb really got my attention. You guys seem to have a culture that really comes through in your Halloween pictures and (laughs) in your holiday photos and all this kind of Uh stuff. And and coming back from Connecticut last night, this new client said, my gosh, you are so different than any agency we've ever seen. I just
0: love to hear that. Right. Yeah. And actually, do you mind kind of explaining for those, you know, listening who may not have heard of that, like what kind of went into that and what the uh, Jonathan Call Scott was? Yeah. Jonathan Call Scott was a, and I think it,
2: it put on display some of the, the chutzpah, if you will, of um, our agency, as well as the passion and creativity that we can apply here was Airbnb saying that they were looking for a new advertising agency. We knew that they would not look in Phoenix, Arizona. So we said, well, what are we going to do to get the attention of a single decision maker on CMO? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and have him put us on the radar screen so we call uh, so the the CMO's name was Jonathan our president and chief revenue officer Scott Harkey is Scott and we came up with a campaign Jonathan call Scott right and the premise and the concept was what would an agency do uh to get the attention of a big decision maker um to, uh, to achieve a one-minute phone call for self-introduction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And with that as the premise, we resorted to converting one of our offices into an Airbnb, locking a junior <laughs> copywriter who, frankly, had good improv skills right. and was used to comedy. And we said, we're going to lock this junior copywriter up. But Airbnb's brand was always about being part of the community. And that's why you rent an Airbnb. Right. So you can experience the community at a closer range than if you were to rent a hotel room in a Marriott or a Hyatt. So we then decided to kind of have a twist on that. And we said, we will bring a series of um, celebrities and other guests mm-hmm. into our Airbnb and surprise our spokesperson and copywriter for a 24 hour live stream. Yeah. <laughs> we took five, uh, GoPros, taped them on the ceiling, created for under $15,000, a broadcast station nice. that would stream live on the internet for the whole world to see our copywriter being put in very, in some cases, compromising situations. <laughs> He had to have his nails done with drag queens. He had to dance with children. He had to rope like a cowboy. He had to sing, yodel, you name it. And it was 24 hours, and we ended up generating 45 million impressions. But sure enough, using more modern marketing techniques, including geotargeting and geofencing around Airbnb offices around the world, (laughs) we were able to track down the CMO who was on a business assignment in Ireland and get him to engage And in fact, get him to call Scott and (laughs) then later invite Scott to the Airbnb headquarters in uh, Northern California. And I think we've been able to use that as a case study that because all the people who are going to hire an agency are going to want us to be able to identify a target audience, deliver a persuasive message and get some sort of conversion. And if we can search the world to find a single person (laughs) in Ireland on a a single minute and get the response. It may say our ability to help sell more shoes or sell more bars of soap or whatever else anybody else hires us to do.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Awesome. Very cool. And yeah, that even, I remember reading that in ad Week too, which for those listening is one of the, you know, big two, you know, advertising publications out there. So it, it really caught a lot of attention and it was very cool to see. So, um, and I guess kind of another question for you too, um, you know, obviously we're students here at ASU and, you know, a lot of the people listening to this are students and, you know, finding a new job, getting an internship that can all kind of feel like some unknown kind of really scary kind of field to venture into. So we're just curious, what advice do you have, you know, for those who are in college right now trying to find a job or an internship and then those who are graduating and now entering the workforce?
2: Great questions. You know, one of the things that I think is a striking statistic, and, and this has probably even changed since I heard it. I got the chance to go to an executive ed program at Harvard. I think mm-hmm. it was in circa 09. And there I am with a number of members of my company who are there being trained as well. But one of the Harvard professors says to all students, which included some of the MBAs um, and executive MBAs, mm-hmm. that, people graduating from Harvard's business school in that year would likely have anywhere from 12 to 13 career changes in their lifetime. Oh, wow. And so I guess my first piece of advice to the ASU students is don't put too much pressure that the first job is either a, the most important Mm -hmm. or it's going to be the one you're going to be with forever because statistically that's not correct. Right. I would encourage them to find companies that they like and respect and who, you know, have characteristics about the, the corporate characteristics are somewhat similar to their own personal values. Never work for a company on products that you personally don't believe in yeah. or services that you don't believe in. Um, If you can't see that they're value added, then it's very hard to fake it. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to find yourself getting up every morning and being energized and engaged. So be picky and and try to find something that is a reflection of who you are. Um, Second, as I said earlier in this podcast, find something you think you really will love. Mm -hmm. Third, try to figure out what are the skills that you're going to get at various stages And are the companies or is the company, um, supportive of your personal growth? Or are you just going to be a widget that's plugged in to do that specific job? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look like it's going to build your skills. They're fine with employee turnover. Uh, they'll find somebody else. I won't name the, the company that I worked for, Mm -hmm. but, um, your your listeners are smart enough to they might be able to figure this out. I worked for a, a, a company that a lot of people thought they would love to work mm-hmm. for. And the owner of this company said, Brad, don't worry about turnover. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Everybody wants to be in this industry. Mm-hmm. And if they don't work out, we just get rid right. of them. And it's like, wow. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. that's astonishing. Mm-hmm. I have the opposite of Impression when I came to OH, it's like every individual we get, I want them to fall in love with this right. place. I know that not everyone will, and I know that we can't have 100% retention. But why don't I challenge myself to recruit those people who really align with our values, our our systems, our principles, our processes, mm-hmm. and want to make a difference in the world? And what if I ended up enabling them to make a difference mm-hmm. in the world and promote them regularly and inspire right. them? Um, I think that's what people are looking for. I know that Gen Z, which I guess technically you guys are probably right, Gen yeah. Z. <laughs> and I know a lot of millennials get a, a bad rap out there of being job hoppers. Well, I think it's because so many companies have, have created such horrible expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they've probably done a bad job of tailoring their products to what Gen Z and millennials appreciate about companies. So if, if, and your generation, as much as any generation that we've ever produced has this great sense Mm -hmm. of purpose, don't settle, find a company that will help you fulfill that purpose and help you grow. Um, And then if it doesn't work out, don't be afraid to move on.
0: No, I think that's a perfect point. I think passion's definitely been the big driver for both Cole and I, and I think probably for a lot of the people out there listening. So it's a a good reminder and kind of a good, you know, advice to, to follow by. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, uh, one question we're kind of trying to end on
1: here and kind of going with passions, I guess, and things like that. Is there anything recently that you've read or maybe watched or listened to that has really made an impact on you and feel like really important and you'd want to share with the audience things that they could read or look up? You know,
2: I I do a lot of superficial reading. I don't have time for books. I'm always scanning uh-huh. different news briefs. And, and I, I'm not a Reddit guy, <laughs> even though I feel like I practically am, because I'm always scanning right. for different downloads. And I've got a, probably about eight to ten industry newsletters across industries, everything from the American Beverage Association to the Grocery Manufacturers Association. So... I read mm-hmm. a ton, but right. in, in kind of shallow snapshots, I think, you know, uh, there's probably nothing I, 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 um, can turn your attention to, to watch or to listen to that you guys aren't already doing. I think when I reflect on this past year, and if I think about what are the things that inspired me about your generation or any generation, when I, those horrible um, tragedies that we saw on campuses and schools mm-hmm. and nightclubs across the country, and then that group of young people who. You know uh, right. that are probably even a little younger than the two of you, taking up these national issues with our Congress, with our senators. We're looking for gun control, or they're willing to do marches, and they're willing to rally and say, "Damn it, right. I don't want to take this any longer." Mm-hmm. I really yeah. look at that and I say, "Doggone it!" You know, our my generation and a lot of the people are who you know, run and hide behind amendments and constitutions and, and want to protect things uh, because they said that's what our forefathers did. I think you guys are pragmatists. You guys are realists. You, you look, um, you're the most diverse, you're mm-hmm. the most purposeful generation of all. I, I you inspire people like me to want to continue to make things better but sometimes you're not going to get the cooperation and what I saw in that young movement is that there, you guys are willing to challenge that status quo and try to fix it yourself and I and I encourage your listeners and ASU students or any other students that might be listening right. to this that's it don't be passive uh, take a role. I'm not mm-hmm. telling you to be activists. I'm telling you to be proactive in what the mm-hmm. choices and the things you get behind that gets attention that makes right. the news that makes what we read even better.
1: Wow. Yeah, really well put. And I mean, I think you definitely see that. And, you know, the agencies that are winning right now are those that are willing to take a stand and those and the brands that are willing to put themselves out there are the ones that are going to prosper the most in the future. So I think that's, that's great advice, honestly.
2: well i you know you look at what nike did Uh with colin kaepernick um, (laughs) and and practically blew up the internet but the fact that so many people looked at it not as necessarily anti-american or Uh anti-national anthem it was very much on brand it was pro do it your own way and the campaign that came out of that was was pretty brilliant and when we were uh, creating some concepts for Reebok a few weeks ago, we took a hard look at, at different issues. And so we came up with some ideas around that. So we got mm-hmm. inspiration from brands and then wanted to take a stand ourselves on some things because um, we, we right. also believe agencies can be agents of change. And if we can find clients that are willing to be that with us, we can do more
0: good than harm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's definitely what attracted me and I'm sure Cole too, to advertising is, you know, you have this group of creative people who can really kind of sit at the heart of culture and have a bead on, you know, what, what motivates people, what's pushing people. And then you can use that to guide brands, to really find the people that you know, relate to them and that they can help and the cause that they can rally behind and kind of champion for people who may feel they don't have that voice to do themselves. So um, it's definitely an interesting time in the industry and it's a very exciting time too. Um, so I think with that, you know, um, you know, just want to thank you again, Brad, for coming on and talking with uh-huh. us. This has been awesome. And, um, you know, we look forward to kind of continuing to see uh, where this industry goes. And I'm sure we'll be talking with you a lot about it too along the way. Thanks, and have a happy holiday, guys. You too. Yeah. You too. Take care. I hope you enjoyed listening to Brad. I know we had a great time sitting down and talking with him. Um, You know, I want to say thank you to him again. And um, as far as takeaways from that um, talk, I know, Cole, you had a couple. Um, So what was your first one from that uh, chat with Brad?
1: Uh, Yeah, he's a really great guy to talk to. Really interesting conversation. And I think, um, honestly, one of the biggest things to take away uh, from that was that he had had a lot of diverse kind of experiences you know he had gone from brand side then back to agency side uh, you know worked in a lot of diverse places. Um, obviously he worked internationally as well um, and so I think all of those things really helped to form my worldview and helped, him in you know a number of different positions and so i think what we can really take away from that is that you kind of learn from everything um and they can all all of those different experiences can really come into play in you know the future and so it's always important to kind of reflect back on those things and you know there's always something to be learned
0: right and i think for for students listening it's like well you know i can't necessarily go to you know asia and run my own business and learn about a new culture that way, right? It's like, well, what are my options? And I don't think it necessarily needs to be that, you know? Um, But I think you can learn from everyone. And I think the important thing is putting yourself in new experiences to broaden your perspective, right? That can look like, you know, doing a study abroad, going to a different state, talking with people there. For me, you know, I... Last winter, I went to Monument Valley and talked with a lot of people from the Navajo Nation while I was camping out there. And even just talking with someone like that, it adds a new kind of lens to your outlook on life and kind of gives you a different perspective. And I think especially in advertising, having that broad base that you can draw from and having not just your perspective, um, but everyone else's perspectives, too, that kind of help you understand the world around you and then allow you to form your own unique one. I think that can be a big tool. Um and I really appreciated too, his take on leadership where, you know, you kind of want to lead by listening and, and you'll have, when you inherit a team, you'll have people that may not necessarily feel like they're in the best role. And I think an important job of the leader is to listen to those around him or her and figure out what the best fit is for the talents of those people around uh, the person. Um, and so I really liked his kind of phrase of making sure everyone's on the bus and helping everyone find their seat too.
1: Definitely, definitely important to make sure that everyone's, you know, feeling like they're able to contribute and making sure that the team's able to work well together and that you're able to take input from all of these different places. Um, And I think that also goes to show, too, that um, we should never really be afraid of change and taking on new roles, new positions and new voices and being able to take all of those things, synthesize them um, and find a really good way to present that and, you know, create good work. And I think that's what it's all about.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was just a kind of interesting kind of insight to have, too, about You know, talking about the difference between brands and agencies, um, I think obviously, Cole, you and I both know that we want to go agency side. But, you know, for any meeting students listening who are interested in, in like a big company, it's cool to hear about how, you know, when you're working on a brand or one specific brand, you know, you have to learn the whole depth of that brand and all the intricacies. And then I think and that could even happen agency side, too, if you're a lower level employee and you're working on just one specific client, you know. You have to really embrace that brand and know everything about it. And then as you kind of get up into higher level positions and you start handling more brands, you know, Brad was like, you know, I don't really read as much because I kind of have to read a little bit about everything. It's interesting to see that transition as you move forward in your career from a strong focus on one to a broader understanding of many and how you can kind of use that to define your strategy for different clients. Um, So I thought that was an interesting insight as well. Um, Any kind of last thoughts you had, Cole?
1: You know, I've, I think that was kind of it, but, you know, just obviously taking up, taking all of that into account, um, in our, in our futures is a, is really important. And I think that's a good thing for the, you know, for the listeners to know, but yeah, I think, I think that kind of wraps up this week. Um,
0: yeah. So if you enjoyed this episode, um, just want to thank you again for listening and, you know, go ahead hit that follow button. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow. Um, and also too, um, You know, give us a follow on social media at salad underscore podcast. It is the one with the um, little bowl logo that's got the audio waves as a salad leaf uh, made by our favorite designer, uh, Kevin. and yeah, I hope you guys tune in next week. We're going to be talking with Tyler Farnsworth, who um, is the head of August United, a um, influencer marketing organization, a uh, super bright dude. Um, and we're excited to sit down and talk with him. So I hope you tune in for that as well. Um, until then, you know, this is Trent signing off from Tempe. Uh, good night, everyone. I hope you have a great week.
1: And this is Cole. Have an ad week. See ya.